Welcome to Leading Edge Parenting. And today I have a wonderful guest for you. Her name is Julia McGarry. And Julia reached out to me, uh, feels like yesterday, but I think it was maybe two years ago, um, to do some one-on-one coaching because Julia realized that she really wanted to be a parent coach. And uh, we worked together for, I think it was six months. And when I do coaching to help somebody become a certified parent coach, it's all one-on-one. I don't send them videos and I don't, you know, give them pre-recorded stuff. It's just like when I work with parents, everybody is an individual and everybody's bringing something special and unique to their desire to become a parenting coach. And so Julia and I started together and now Julia is a fabulous parenting coach. And I receive her emails and every time I receive her emails, I think, yes, she's got it. She's wonderful. She knows just what the parents are struggling with and how to help them. So I want to tell you a little bit about Julia. She's on a mission, she says, to help parents of highly sensitive children reclaim their identity and start living the life they dreamed of before they had children without sacrificing the relationship they have with their child. Many parents aren't even sure that they have highly sensitive children. They just know that there are challenges that are just exhausting them and frustrating them. And many times, you know, we, I know this too, because we, you know, we work with all kinds of parents and so often it's these children who come in so attuned to life in such a way that everything seems to bother them. And they have all these breakdowns. And Julia really, um, she came to me and she was so desiring to understand these children and then to be there for the parents of these children. I believe that's because Julia's got one of these children herself. And I had one. And of course, when you're a parent of a highly sensitive child, you understand what another parent is going through. So Julia helps her clients go from feeling like they're at the mercy of their children's emotions and behaviors to feeling calm and confident and connected in their relationship with their child. And all the while maintaining their own personal identity pursuing their own passion and dreams. Yeah, that's what the parents are looking for. Help me, help me figure out my child so that I don't have to go to bed at night feeling like I failed and I I should have known how to do, do it differently. And Julia brings years of her own experience as a highly sensitive person, as an educator and as a parent to this work and is committed to helping parents create changes in their lives that stretch their idea of what's possible for them and for their family. And I'm hoping uh, that many of the people who are listening today are parents who might be looking for help, but who also have found some of their own ideas. They may be thinking, I think I could be a great parent coach because I really learned a lot. So today we're gonna speak with Julia. We're gonna talk about her journey, how she went from dreaming about being a parenting coach to to getting brave and reaching out and actually doing it. And, and then she's gonna to talk to you about all the things she discovered and how she put her own personal mark. And so it was my pleasure to welcome Julia today. Hi, Julia, welcome to Leading Edge Parenting. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. It's great, you know, when I, when I work with people to become a parent coach and I see them through um, from the beginning of just desiring to do it, but not really 
really knowing what to do with their desire have turned it into reality. And then I've watched you turn it into this fabulous reality. Um, it makes my heart swell with, with, with joy and pride. And I want you now to share with the parents who are listening, whether they're parents of uh, children who may be challenging them, and or there may be some people out there who are actually thinking, you know, I'd like to do that, but I don't know how to go about it. And uh, will you share with them what led you to reach out to me way back a couple of years ago in the first place? Yeah, well, I had just finished my master's degree when I first reached out to you. Um, I have a master's in human development and education from the University of Colorado at Denver. And um, I just finished my degree. I got the degree because I knew I either wanted to start my own preschool or work directly with parents. And then seeing the administrative side of running a preschool, I kind of wrote that option off and knew that I really wanted to work with parents. During that time, um, I had a child in my class that just confused everyone around her. I was teaching three-year-olds and she would come in and if her friend had a hard drop-off, her friend would recover in 15 minutes and she would be in tears on the floor for the whole morning. And we had people telling us she was manipulating us and all the things, but it was like, I went through all the checklists, you know, for sensory processing disorder, everything I could think of. And then it occurred to me, there's this thing called being a highly sensitive person. I wonder what that looks like in kids. So I looked into it and she hit pretty much every checkbox. And I was like, this is what's going on. Okay, I get this, I can do this. Like, this is cool. Um, it also happened that she was extroverted. So she was like seeking out connections with other kids and then she would get overwhelmed really quickly. So that I think was the really confusing part. She wasn't reserved. She wasn't standing back and observing in the corner. So the people around her just didn't understand what was going on. And yeah, they left to, it became judgment rather than seeking to understand. Yeah. And so I knew I wanted to be a parent coach. And then when I worked more closely with her and her family and saw the need for that they were going to have to be advocates for her moving forward in school, then it became really clear to me that I wanted to work with parents of highly sensitive kids. Yeah. And so it was just perfect timing, really, like right as I finished my degree, I saw I was searching for programs. And then I saw a post from Melissa in the highly sensitive children group saying, I think she was looking for people who were maybe wanting to work with parents or write a book. I can't really remember, but it was like, if you're any of these things, I have an offer for you. And so I reached out to Melissa and we connected. And at that point, I felt like the timing wasn't quite right because I was worried I was going to be too exhausted from the degree. I wanted some time to myself first. And um, so I, I said, I'm going to wait. And then I think it was about six or seven months later, I reached out again and was like, I'm, I'm ready now. <laughs> Let's do this. So, yeah, sometimes we're just not ready to move ahead with a dream we have. Um, and sometimes it just feels like, okay, now I'm ready. For some people, they just never feel ready. They almost need like some kind of, oh, some kind of courage, you know, to say, I'm ready to 
take this next step. Yeah. Yeah. And looking back, well, the longer I've done this, the more willing I've become to invest in myself because I've seen the transformations that happen when you invest in yourself and you invest in um, figuring out what makes your mind work and like why you're showing up the way you're showing up and why you're afraid to take risks that you really want to take. So yeah. now looking back, I, I think I would have done it right away because it actually didn't take that much energy from me. I think I was afraid that I wouldn't have the time and I wouldn't like, I just spent all this time and energy putting into this degree and I just wanted some space, but I think, I think I could have handled it sooner than I gave myself credit for. So pretty much what we're saying to anybody out there who's listening is if you really, really want to do this, do it because um, you're worth it. And one of the um, things about getting older and wiser is you get to look back on things and you realize, oh, I wish I had done that a little sooner, but it's okay. Everybody has to do it in their, in their way, in their time. And I remember when we first started working together, you had ideas, they were all over the place. It was about trying to take all your ideas and encapsulate them into your own authentic body of work. That's what really, what we did is uh, I was able to speak with you about uh, what you already knew, what you were looking to learn more from me and from Melissa, because she did some of the coaching with you too. Mm -hmm. And then as you started to create your own body of work, um, we did a little bit of marketing stuff, which was, you know, you know, what do you call yourself? And um, once you, you, you get a name for yourself, does that feel like you own that, that that's you? And then we, we worked on, okay, so when you work with parents, what presentation are you giving to them? You know, we know about child development, the people in the field. And uh, when I work with, with uh, people who want to be coaches, each one comes with something, you know, with their own learning set. But there's a, there's, um, a particular learning set we need in order to help parents understand who their unique creature is the, that they're trying to learn. And then you put together your own stamp on your coaching um, program that you know that you do for parents. So let's talk a little bit about that. How, do you remember how you came to calling yourself partnered uh, path parenting? Yeah, partnered path parenting. Um, I remember writing down a list of lots of different words that resonated with me. And I knew um, I had this image of something tied into like the journey, like the parenting journey that we're on. But I also really wanted to speak to having a partnership with your child and having a respectful, um, re I want to say reciprocal, but I mean, just a responsive relationship with your child. That's really like a partnership because I believe that the relationship we have with our children is really the, it's their first relationship. It's their model for their future relationships. And the more we can incorporate respect for our children, rather than simply demanding their respect for us, the more that they're going to develop the skills and the um, expectations that we want them to have moving into adult relationships. So 
speaking to that was really important to me. So I tied both of those together and partnered path. And I can't even remember what other names I had in mind, but that one just really resonated with me. Yeah, so um, one of the assignments that I give the people I work with is um, to, to start thinking when words come to you that resonate with you, that, that are meaningful, that you're trying to help parents um, create in their own hearts, their own minds, their own souls, their own relationships. And that's how we, we, we came to partners path parenting. That's yours. You own that. That's who you are. And that's what you bring to, you know, I came up with leading edge parenting because, well, one, because some of the names I wanted to use were already taken. And that was back in 2000, you know, before it took off like it does now. And I remember struggling because every time I came up with something that felt like I owned it, someone else already owned the name and it kept pushing me to broadening my own uh, ideas. And I thought about the leading edge. The leading edge is where you, you're willing to think differently. The leading edge is where you're, you know, you're willing to look at things differently and, and bring new ideas and, and take risks that normally, you know, we wouldn't. And so that's how, uh, one of the ways I came to leading edge parenting. And, um, and again, each person who wants to do this work will you can start thinking right now, if you're listening, if you were going to name a business that you were going to coach parents, what would you name it? And uh, again, you might love to name it something that really resonates with you, but somebody else already owns that. So just keep pushing. Don't give up. There's the language allows, so, you know, so much. And um, so I, I remember one of the things we did together was I, I kept asking you to write down. Um, what your philosophy is and, uh, you know, what it is you want to say to parents. And at first it was tricky. Like, you know, how do you rein in all those thoughts and all those experiences? Do you have any memory of what you went through to, to bring your philosophy into focus? Um, I think it was a lot of writing and revisiting and just saying it out loud and seeing how it landed, um, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I remember I told you to do like a, a three-minute elevator pitch. Yeah. You know, that if you were going to meet somebody for the and, and they say, how's everything going? How are you doing? And you say, well, I'm learning to be a parent coach. And they say, really? Like, what does that mean? Or, you know, what are you going to do? That you had a three-minute pitch that you really felt comfortable saying and that the more you said it the more it felt like you and you could keep tweaking it <laughs> do you remember yeah. that <laughs> yeah and I think that that was such a like a, a good starting point for building that confidence because I remember um I think I was probably about halfway through the the training the coaching that we did together and I was at a going away party for a, a former student and there was a parent there who'd been a parent in my class the year before and I remember mentioning it to him and I was just like I don't even know what this person's going to think of what I'm saying because it, it's um at first it's uncomfortable to say to people that you already know right like um I think having an elevator pitch in mind and then just looking for people to practice with especially people outside of your network it helps you like zero in on what is um, 
what really resonates within that pitch and what comes across to other people. And the process of doing that clarifies for you what it is that you're working on and uh, also what it is that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And then the practicing is what gives you the confidence. And the more you say it, the more you tweak it, the more, the more you own it, one day suddenly it's not a practice anymore. You just are that person. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you presented a really great um, container for practicing that and, and for practicing other aspects of coaching too, because um, you, I, I always felt like you were um, putting yourself in the place of a parent who was hearing what I was saying and then responding the way that the parent would respond. It was never judgmental or crit like it was, it, maybe it was critical, but it was not like hard to hear. Um, and that's the kind of feedback that you need to be getting on a regular basis to really get zeroed in and comfortable with presenting yourself as a parent coach. Yeah, I remember uh, we spent many sessions where I sent you in advance <laughs> and I used, of course, without naming anybody, real issues that parents had uh, come to me about. And once you start to look at the real nitty gritty issues that parents are dealing with, it's like, oh, you know, how do I unravel this for the, for the parent? I know what I believe and I know what I think is good for children, but parents are now coming to you with their own unique set of circumstances. And every set is uh, um, filled with challenges that don't just have an easy answer. And so I remember I would send to you two or three different scenarios and then we would practice. I would say to you, okay, I'm going to be the parents. <laughs> I love doing that. You know, give me a chance to kind of be an actress. And then you would be the, the coach coaching me and, uh, and you would see how hard it was, how, oh my gosh, you know, how do you, how do you reach me on my level? How do you reach me where I am? How do you cut through my pain and my disappointment in order to help me start seeing this child in a way that uh, I can change the way I'm responding to him? And, uh, and you got better and better and more and more confident as the weeks went by. Do you remember that process? I do, yeah. That was, I think that's one of the things I remember the most. <laughs> Is, is doing those every week. And it did over time get a lot easier. So I, and I thought that was just so helpful because it was such a, it was such a constrained container too, right? So the problem was presented and I had like 15 minutes, 30 minutes maybe to coach on it or, um, or show, really it was showing you how I could help, I think. Yeah, because some of the problems you can't really solve in 30 minutes, but you can show the parents how you can help. Yeah. And then together we talked about, uh, from my perspective as the parent, where my ahas came, how you helped me get my ahas. And then also talked about other things you might have brought up that might have helped the parent get that moment of understanding. And through this process, you came to develop 
right? You came to develop mm-hmm. your own unique set of steps. Yes. Yeah. And this also got developed almost in the same way that the name of your work got developed, right? It Gradually, each week you tweaked it, you wrote about it. Uh, right. So right. share a little bit how, what it is, what you developed and how you came to do that. Yeah. So I have a coaching tool that I call the path process. And it's really a tool for handling everyday challenges um, where you might jump into a reactive pattern that you're wanting to let go and leave in the past. Um, And the path process helps you slow down and respond to your child and support them in a way where they can actually hear what you're saying and hear your help. So it stands for, do you want me to go into what it stands for? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, help them. Yeah. Yeah. So the PATH process is, it's an acronym and it stands for pause, acknowledge, tell, and help. And so there's a lot of, it, it. what I work on with parents, it depends on who's coming to me. Like they may need help in any one of those particular areas. The one we're all really good at is telling. Like we tend to want to jump straight into telling our kids, like, you can't do that. You need to stop. Um, and this is why we like to explain a lot. Um, so working on that pause and finding the space to ground yourself, to get aligned before you respond to kind of take in all of the information that's sitting in front of you before you jump to any conclusions or rush your child through a transition. That's the starting point for a lot of parents. And then the acknowledging piece I think is so key and it's something that we don't always think to do. I mean, I think it's something we we think we're doing better than we are oftentimes. Yes, I've worked with parents who say, I do that already. I do that, I do that already. And what they uh, can't see is that they're not doing it as clearly as they think they're doing it or in the language the child can understand mm-hmm. it or with a tone of voice that really sounds loving rather than I'm going to punish you if you don't get this. Yeah. So the acknowledging yeah. where the child is. And they don't always do it with the depth that the child needs. You kind of have to stay with it until the child starts, your child starts to regulate a little bit more and to get into a more respect, receptive state where they can hear what you want to tell them, what your either expectations or your boundaries that you need to communicate actually are. So, and I think a lot of parents who have um, moved through the Janet Lansbury Rye philosophy with their toddlers and have practiced sports casting with their kids really think they are doing this well. And they're doing it to an extent, but they don't always acknowledge what's going on in their child's body, which is something that I work with parents on for sure. Because if you're just saying, oh, they took the toy out of your hands and now you're frustrated, but you need to give it back or <laughs> but that's that's not enough. You, if you want to help them process their emotion so that they can hear you, you have to acknowledge you're really frustrated. It looks like your, your shoulders are really tight and I can see your face is starting to scrunch up. Let's maybe take a breath and 
try and come back to normal. It seems like that was really upsetting for you. I wonder if, I like to use, I wonder if phrases a lot because then it gives the child a chance to say, yes, that's exactly what's going on or no, that's not it. Um, so just building from there and then asking like, did it bother you that they didn't ask you first or all the questions? Uh, you know, the, yeah, we all want to rush into fixing it. Um, and the more I work with parents, the more I realize I do that in my relationship with my husband. Um, I do that in all my relationships that something happens and I guess it's regulated. Like he's upset about something. He's being upset pushes a button in me because it's so hard for me to watch him being upset uh, or I'm annoyed with him that he got upset when, you know, I can't deal with his annoyance. I got my own stuff going on. And, and so your pause um, is really to just, I know, to remind me, even on an adult level, that this thing that just happened is setting me off. I can't be helpful to anybody until I just say to myself, you just got dysregulated. Your buttons just got pushed. You got to calm yourself first. But like all humans, we just want to rush in there and fix it all up for them, you know, and, and skip over the fact that they've got some big feelings going on right now, which is causing that big upset. And I want to like, again, I'm only talking about my husband because I don't have little kids in the house anymore. And I'm just watching how this works in all relationships. It does. Right? Instead it of me saying to him, oh, fun, that made you really upset. I want to say to him, would you get over it already? You know, I don't want to watch you acting like this. But that's what you're... You know, your, your, uh, your process is about, really, it works for all relationships. And, yeah, and yeah. you do have to tailor it a little bit depending on the person you're speaking to and your natural way of speaking. So, I mean, if you're trying to acknowledge something, you don't want to, I, I had a, a friend who used to say things like, I can see, like, water running down your face. Like, um, no, that, that is one way to point out a child's tears, but not definitely not my way. So you have to find a way that's authentic to you. And then once you start to find that voice and find that connection in those moments, it applies to anybody that you're talking to. Yeah, and, and with children, depending on the age of the child, mm -hmm. you, know, you can't get intellectual with a two-year-old or a three-year-old. Like, how would you feel? They, they, their brain's not wired to even go there. Um, what they really need is, you're so angry. Yes, you are. You're just so, so, so angry. And some parents feel so foolish doing that. But I always say to them, you know what made Walt Disney so so wealthy and so famous is that he knew who children were and every character talks to them in a childlike, you know, way that the kids get the message of, of the mm -hmm. program. So, yeah, so Julia, so that's step one is pausing yourself, right? Yeah. Step and who is acknowledging where your child is. And just to come back to the pause for a minute, a lot of times we blow past that. And then there's a tendency to just feel like, oh, this is all, I messed up again. You can pause whenever you catch yourself. Even if you've already started to have a reaction, as soon as you notice it, 
then bring in that pause. And then, yeah. So go on to the third piece of the process. Yeah. So the third piece is telling and um, that's what the parents like. Now they get yeah. to <laughs> <laughs> I really encourage parents to use the word and rather than but. So I think that's a small just language switch that you can start using right away because when you're going from acknowledging your child's experience to then telling them um, what your current expectation for them is, like you're really upset and you're having a hard time leaving your Legos alone and we need to get in the car to go to school. If you use the word, but it just negates all of the things you just said to try to connect with your child and acknowledge their experience. So I think telling is pretty straightforward. Um, we're, uh, just with the caveat that we're not um, like giving orders, we're just stating an expectation. Like this is what needs to happen now. Yeah, or, so your brother took your toy. And so you smack your brother because he took your toy because you don't have the language, mm -hmm. you know, or, or you just don't know what else to do. Yeah. yeah so in that. Go ahead. Explain. Okay. Oh, here we go, Joy. I'm the parent yeah. and I'm coming to you because I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and the, the six-year-old is hitting his brother. That's what I think the issue is. Yeah. I just want the six-year-old to stop hitting his brother. So. Yeah, how, how would you use this? In this that context. Of, yeah, because that's a yeah. problem. Um, and with anything like physically aggressive, you want to like step in and stop the behavior, like prevent any injury from happening first, first thing. So you don't want to pause and acknowledge while they're like hitting each other. <laughs> you want to actually stop it and intervene, check on the child that was injured and then turn your attention and go through that process, make sure you've grounded yourself and collected yourself because if a child's hitting their sibling, then you're pr probably going to feel a little triggered because none of us were allowed to allowed to hit our, our brothers and sisters when we were kids, we would have gotten in a lot of trouble. So it's something that's really triggering for parents. So it's really important to pause and then step into that state of acknowledging you were really frustrated with him or angry that he took your toy and that's what we said right he took he took, took the toy. toy yeah okay <laughs> that's just kind of the thing i keep saying well, you took your toy um and that makes sense i think that makes sense is so important when we when yes. a child is hitting we tend to want to just rush to correct the behavior but we need to acknowledge like you were really angry and it makes sense. He took your toy. I get that. And as soon as your child starts to calm down a little bit, hitting is not a good way to communicate that it could hurt your brother. We need to find a better way to solve this problem. Um, you can come get me. If you're feeling that frustrated, hitting hurts, come find me and I'll help you. Right. And then you have to stop what you're doing. You have to be willing to tell your child mm -hmm. that. Then you have to be willing to put the phone down, you know, shut the burners on the stove off, whatever it's going to take. Because that that it is the promise you kind of made to your child. Yeah. And it's um, 
it's really an issue of impulsiveness with impulsiveness and lack of words to communicate at that age. So you kind of have to be their impulse control. Like I can't let you hit your brother. And when you feel this way, come get me, I will help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it, this is such a typical issue in so in so many ways. And then if you have a highly sensitive child who's the older one, mm-hmm. not only did he hit the brother, he's probably now having an absolute full-on breakdown. Uh, that his brother did it to him again because it's probably uh-huh. not the first time and he doesn't know what to do. So he's distraught because it happened and then distraught because he did something he probably knows he shouldn't be doing and he's going to get yelled at. And so now you're you're coming into a full-on hysteria, which makes the parents feel like, they, oh my God, they're just totally powerless here. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And so even more important, uh, which is why we need to sue the parents, because it's tough stuff, especially if you got your own issues going on and you are trying to cook dinner and you are trying to answer 14,000 texts. And, and now in the middle and, of all this, this breakdown is going on. You don't. <laughs> and maybe you're highly sensitive and you hadn't really realized it before. So all of this is just. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> And especially if your friends are not having this issue, you feel like, what am I doing? What's wrong with my kids? And it's so important that we help parents soothe themselves because it's hard to be there to walk our children through self-soothing. If if we're modeling yelling and carrying on, we're not really Mm -hmm. modeling what we're telling them to do. So that's why coaching is so lovely for the parents because they have somebody that they can talk to and and, and this other person is not judging them. They're just saying, I understand. I understand. Let's work on this. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the fourth step in the path process? The fourth step is help. And the fourth step is, I would say, sort. Of, it might be an optional step. But if your child has been having a, a really big reaction to whatever was going on, if they were just yelling and trying to hit their brother or sister and they're really elevated and you know that their impulse control is not where it could be, they're just really dysregulated. Um, It's very likely that once you tell them what you need, you're going to have to help them follow through with that. So it's it's not like you need to do this or else, it's like you need to do this and I can see that that's hard for you right now. So I'm going to help you do this. You need to stop playing with your Legos so we can go to school and you're having a hard time uh, putting those pieces down. So I'm going to help you put them down and help you walk to the car because it's time to go to school. This is a very gentle redirection. Yeah. I kind of remember, Julia, and honestly, I don't remember specifically that you you used your own daughter at the time that we were working together um, uh, with examples of huh? you were practicing this with her. And see if you remember this, you had to get her in the car to go to school and I, she wanted to smell the flowers or she didn't want to put <laughs> her boots or something was going on. And you, this is where I think you created this fourth step process because you noticed that this is what you were doing, mm-hmm. right? So do you remember what that issue was back then? How how your own 
interactions with your own child is what led you to this process? Yeah, I think um, it, there were days where she was really slow getting out to the car. So there would be times where I was like, "We, I, you're really into those acorns right now or that she really liked pollen from the pine trees and she'd pick it up and play with it. Like, that's really cool. Why don't you pick some up and take it with you and you can play with it in the car or, um, and it wouldn't always land, right? She'd still just be playing with it. And I'd say, okay, well, we do need to go to school. So I'm going to help you now. I'm going to pick you up or you can walk to the car. I remember that was so important when you would say that I thought you didn't say so you better get in the car or you have to get in the car I remember when you use that expression so we have to get in the car so I'll help you I'm mm -hmm. like, well, do it yourself but if it's hard for you I'll help you there was nothing punishing in that there was nothing like right. you're a girl and I'm gonna you know threaten you to get you to do what, what you want to do. And I, to me, that was a pivoting moment. Um, and I thought that's got to be part of what you create with parents. Yeah. It changes the atmosphere. It changes the relationship that you're building. Yeah. And I still do that with my daughter now. Um, I think the most common one is if we start, she's five and a half now. And if we miss our window with bedtime by just a little bit, I think I'd say the sweet, the sweet spot that I found lately is about 645. If we start then, she will do all the things she knows how to do and is capable of doing herself. And it's really smooth. If we start at seven, um, she turns into a cat. <laughs> and she, she wants to be on all fours and doesn't want to participate in actively brushing her teeth. So if it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that we've missed our window and she needs our help completing these tasks. So then I'm like, okay, well, we do need to brush your teeth and you can do it yourself or you can sit here and open your mouth so I can do it for you because I don't want to hurt you by shoving a toothbrush in your mouth. Um, I'm willing to help you if that's what you need right now. And that, that makes our bedtimes a lot smoother and it's not an every night thing. So we're not just, I'm, I'm not um, always doing something for her that I know she can do herself. I think that's what parents worry about a lot when they're stepping into this helping role. It's not about um, whether or not they can do it for themselves. It's about where, um, where they are with their regulation and their, um, like, are they excessively tired? Are they hungry? Are they able to complete this task right now independently? Even if usually they can, sometimes they're not able to complete something that we know they can do themselves. And that's when we really need to. Yeah, it's like, up. you know, I mean, I'm always capable of picking up the phone and calling a company to talk about a problem with my credit card, let's say. But I don't always feel like doing it. It's not always the, you know, it's like, I don't wanna do it now. Cause I'm an adult, I get away with that. You know, I said, yeah, I know I'm capable of doing it. Mm -hmm. but right now, I just don't feel like doing it. Children don't, most of the time, don't have that um, freedom. If a parent is saying, now's the time to brush your teeth, now's the time whether you feel like it or not. So, so much of what, you know, we teach, 
at least when I work with parents, is I try to put them in the position that the child is so that they remember what it feels like and what is it that would soothe them, would would help them. And uh, your your four-step path process um, is the beginning. It kind of lays out the bones and then it gives you the opportunity to expand to expand what needs to get done in each piece of it. And, and we developed that together. And it's very exciting <laughs> for me because each time I coach someone, they're coming up with their own unique processes, which have the threads of commonality in all of them. Mm-hmm. You know? For the most part, we're pretty much all saying similar things, but we're saying it in our own voice. And parents find the voice that resonates the best with them. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, it's really powerful. I think to have a lot of voices, a lot of people out there actively helping parents because just like we as coaches are really unique and are saying things in our own way, each family that is facing these challenges, like they have their own set of challenges. They're unique in their own way. And I don't know about you, but most of the parents, I'd say all of the parents that I've worked with are already like pretty good parents. Like they have put their work in, they've read books, they've taken classes and there's just something that's off that hasn't um, come together yet for them. Which is what's causing the frustration. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried everything. Why isn't it working? (laughs) Nothing's working. So we really dive in and figure out like, what needs to shift for it to work and it's not always what you think it is yeah so um for the parents who are listening i you know i also you mentioned something way back in the beginning and the light went off in my head mm-hmm. you were saying the little girl in, in your class uh-huh. was an extroverted highly sensitive child and i wanted to say that for the people who don't know i work with my daughter melissa now who's 40 she was one of these highly sensitive children that I didn't understand 40 years ago. We didn't know about high sense. We didn't know about a lot of stuff 40 years ago. And so through the years, um, Melissa and I have started talking about what it felt like as her mother and what it felt like as the child not being understood. Mm-hmm. That's how we start working together. And so now she's one of the leading um, uh, experts in high sensitivity and she's uh, also started to do some work on, well, it's not always high sensitivity. Sometimes it's sensory stuff. And uh, recently she did an interview with someone where they talked about introverted, highly sensitive people, extroverted, highly sensitive people. There's so many threads. So even if you say you've come to the conclusion your child is highly sensitive, well, then there's more. And then what about you? What about your partner? You know, is there high sensitivity there? Or do you live with someone who doesn't want to even hear about that? They just want a certain kind of behavior in the household. So there's so many pieces to this and so many layers and so many threads. And what a really good parenting coach does is help you pull out those threads and look at each one to see where the aha piece that's going to be the change for, you know, for your family. Yeah. Yeah. So you brought to this the fact that you were a teacher. I and, did. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and for the people listening, you may not, it may not be that you were a teacher. It could be that 
I, I once helped someone become a parenting coach and she was um, someone who worked in a sensory lab with children who had you know, sensory issues. Um, whoever is out there listening, whatever you bring to, to your desire to become a coach, it's okay, it's enough. It's a place where we get started. And Julia, I, I, before we wrap this up, I, I would like you to have an opportunity to say anything that we really haven't had a chance to talk about. Is there any message that you would like to leave with the parents listening? Oh, well, I just was thinking as you were talking about sensory stuff that the kids that I had in my classes that did have sensory issues, I think were really my best teachers in terms of figuring out how to how to help kids, like when a kid needs my help versus when they're able to complete a task that I'm asking them on their, on their own. We had one child who um, every lunchtime, by the end of lunch, he was screaming and throwing things from his lunchbox. And we ended up setting a timer to see, because at the beginning of lunch, he'd be okay. And um, we just wanted to see how long it would take before that started happening. And we realized he had about a 15 minute window where he could sit at the lunch table calmly. And then we needed to move him on to something else. And he could come back to his lunch later if he needed to, but come back and put it away later if he needed to. But that was the help he needed. He needed to be away from other kids and excess stimulation. Um, and then he was fine. So we got to the point where we just pay attention for the first little lunch container to slide across the table. And we were like, okay, let's go read a book over here. And um, it worked really well for him. It made our classroom a much more peaceful place. And that's what you help parents do in their home. Mm -hmm. and, and the basis of it all is there is nothing wrong with your child. And there's nothing wrong with you as the parents, but it is figuring this stuff out. Mm -hmm just, you know, to see what this child needs in order to thrive at their maximum potential. And they're really, as you said earlier, there are, there are teachers, they come in, I believe that it's a perfect soul connection, that the, the child comes into the perfect family unit for their life's path. And we are sent the perfect children to help us do our work. And if we're willing to do the work, then miracles happen. It's wonderful. Yeah. Julia, if there's any parent listening who wants to know more about your work, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah, um, I am on Instagram a lot. I'm Partner Path Parenting on Instagram. That's the easiest place to find me. I also have a website, which is just partneredpath.com. And it's pretty easy from either of those places to figure out how to work with me. You just send me a message or find the scheduling link and book a consult call and we'll just see how we fit. <laughs> great, that's great. And I, I know that Julia could really um, help you so non-judgmentally figure <laughs> out what's going on um, so that you can live the life that you always dreamed about as a parent with your beautiful children. And you can find out more about my work and Melissa's work at Leading Edge Parenting dot com or you can email me at sandy with an i at leadingedgeparenting.com i'm so glad that you joined us today it's been wonderful and julia thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners thank you so much for having me it was really great to connect with you and to connect with all your listeners thanks bye, -bye everybody have a great